This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 50, Toolbox Episode, Gaining from Financial Chaos and Disorder. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Not Your Average Financial Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Willis, and in the studio with me today is Holly Bach. Welcome, Holly. Hello, everyone. And Katrina Willis. Hi there. So uh, you guys know that I'm super pumped today because tomorrow I get my cast off my hand. You know, Very so nice. uh, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. It's been super itchy and whatever. You know, it's at that point where I'm just ready to get this sucker off my arm. <laughs> uh, you guys in the studio know, uh, but our audience might not. I, I fractured my wrist about six weeks ago going downhill uh, mountain biking. And uh, this this mountain had some really cool trails on it. And, uh, you know, I was doing like, you know, um, it was like Excite Bike on the Nintendo, but in real life. And it had, you know, ramps and it had uh, big mountains. And unfortunately, it also had some tree roots on this trail. And so I hop over a few roots, but I don't make it over all of them. And I flip over the handlebars and, you know, boom, there goes my wrist for the whole summer, you know. So I, I did get to come home with a really nice souvenir, but I'm ready for this thing to get on its way and back to normal life. So, you know, it got me thinking about this idea of I'm a fragile human being. I'm Guys, come on, I'm fragile. <laughs> so uh, what – and it started making me think, well, what's the opposite of fragile? And I really couldn't come up with uh, an, like an immediately anyway a, a, an opposite word for fragile. I mean, obviously there's words that are out there that are opposite or we think are – tend to think are opposite of fragility like – any, any words come to anyone's mind here? What's the general uh, notion of what's opposite of being fragile? I guess like not not breaking. So something would be like strong or fortified or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Or, or can withstand pressure. Yeah, strong. I wish my, my uh, wrist had been a little more strong, you know. <laughs> but I guess in, in truth, there is no English word that is truly the opposite of the word fragile. So, you know, we have to create one. And there was a book written recently by a guy who wrote The Black Swan. And uh, that book was awesome. You know, The Black Swan Effect uh, is something that's really permeated financial talk and really any kind of corporate talk or anything. It's the idea of unexpected things coming out of nowhere to change things forever. You know, all you see all your lifetime is white swans, but then out of nowhere is this black swan. Okay. So he writes another book called Anti-Fragile. And those, you know, the opposite is uh, the opposite of fragility isn't so much strength or resolve or stability, but it's something that actually gets better with chaos, something that gets stronger with chaos. Uh, And his book is titled Anti-Fragile, Things That Gain from Disorder. And, you know, honestly, as I listened to that book uh, sitting in my, uh, you know, uh, in my house with this cast on, I started thinking more and more about how it has a lot to say to us in our world today. Uh, and how we think about our life, our economy, and our future. And I was like, well, wait a minute, this has a little bit to do with our podcast, right? (laughs) So there's kind of a spectrum. There's fragile on one end of the spectrum. There's strong or robust in the middle. And then on the other end of the spectrum is this wild and woolly thing called anti-fragile. So this is Nassim Taleb's central concept uh, in both the book Anti-Fragile and Black Swans. 
all systems can be categorized as one of those three, uh, fragile, robust, or anti-fragile. Anti-fragile systems are those what is kind of what he's advocating for and what we need to move towards, he says. So there's all these systems that improve or even get stronger when unexpected or volatile things happen. So it'd be sort of like if I got in that bike wreck and I was anti-fragile, I'd actually come away like with superpowers or something cool like that. (laughs) So, uh, you know, fragile things are exposed to volatility, just like anything else. Robust things actually resist volatility, but anti-fragile things benefit from volatility. Okay. So, uh, you know, the, the fragile is the package that, you know, would be best left untouched. The robust would at best be unharmed when, you know, uh, tragedy strikes. And the opposite of fragile or anti-fragile is actually what would be performing the best in the worst circumstances. Okay, so <laughs> all that, all, you know, condensing that down. So when you're you're kind of talking about these three different layers, so the fragile, you know, if we're thinking about, you know, a volatile thing happens, a fragile system will, is most likely going to walk away harmed from yeah. that. I mean, mm-hmm. the best scenario for a fragile item is just that it's unharmed, but most likely it's going to be harmed. Uh, whereas the robust, it's, it may or you know may kind of be a little, little bit of a toss-up where it may be harmed, it may not be harmed, you know, just kind of we'll see what happens. But then this idea of anti-fragile is a system that that, you know, volatile thing happens, this extreme Thing happens, and its most likely scenario is actually that it benefits. So mm-hmm. its most, you know, likely scenario isn't that it's going to um, just be unharmed. It's right. it's actually going to benefit or become better it's, because of it. It's strange to think about, really, but you know, fragility implies that there's more to lose than to gain with change. Okay, and uh, you know, there's more downside than upside. You know, there's sort of an asymmetry in an unfavorable way for things that are bound to break under pressure. But anti-fragility implies that there's more gain than loss with the same volatility. Uh, so more upside than downside. So it's actually a more favorable asymmetry. So he, he brings up several different scenarios. Like he talks about if every plane crash makes the, less, the, the next plane trip you, you might go on less likely to crash, that's an anti-fragile system. The individual plane might be fragile and could possibly break if it crashes, of course. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we learn from our mistakes and then, you know, actually the whole industry, the airline industry is a safer place to get on an airplane when you know that you've got a, a you know, history of learning from our mistakes, so to speak. That's an anti-fragile system. So the idea is we need to, you know, work on, you know, every bank crash or every financial meltdown uh, hopefully makes... Uh, the the next one less likely, but unfortunately, the financial system we live in seems to be more of a fragile system. The more we l- lean on, you know, derivatives and uh, things that are sort of concocted on Wall Street. Uh, and the goal of his book is to eliminate that that contagion of fragility in our financial system. Okay, not just in a economic macroeconomic world, but what about our personal financial system? Are we more fragile? Or are we more stable, robust? Or are we actually anti-fragile? So, um, you know, there's this old Latin phrase called hormesis, uh, which sounds like something you get on your skin whenever you've had too much, you know, <laughs> not enough sunscreen, I guess. Uh, but uh, the, the, the word in Latin is translated um, difficulty is what wakes up the genius. 
Man, I love that. I wish there was a better word for that than hormesis. It sounds so weird. But difficulty is what wakes up the genius, uh, which is essentially like when life gives you lemons, make lemonade, right? Or Katrina, you always used to say a long time ago, we had this phrase, uh, constraints drive innovation. And I feel like that's an anti-fragile phrase. So, uh, you know, it's this excess of energy that's released from overreaction to setbacks. And that's exactly what is what is going to innovate. Right. So it's sort of like how a lot of our medicines are made from very small doses of actual poisons. You know, if you take a large dosage of that, you could put yourself, you know, in the grave pretty fast. Um, So it's like certain poisons or mild stressors that you benefit from in small amounts, but in large amounts, they're lethal. So like a food restriction. If you eat less, you benefit from it. But if you don't eat enough, you won't be around to keep eating. Yeah. <laughs> so that constraint drives the innovation of building more muscle or, you know, getting leaner muscle mass, that sort of thing. Cool. And so really kind of the first step then in moving towards anti-fragility consists in first decreasing your downside rather than increasing your upside, which I feel like is so often people's Hmm. focus. They're just focused on how can I increase my upside? How can I make more, you know, earn more, higher return, this, that, just increase the upside rather than focusing on, okay, well, how much risk am I exposing myself to? What is the downside here too? Is it, is it an equal swing? You know, if you're trying to get that upside potential way up there, well, what's your downside potential? Is it, you know, could it go just as bad the other way or even worse? Could it go even worse the other way than it could that way, Hmm. Um, which is also, I feel like, fairly common. And so it's this idea of lowering your exposure to negative black swans um, and letting natural anti-fragility work by itself. So, you know, for the fragile, the cumulative effect of small shocks is actually smaller than the single effect of an equivalent single large shock. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. So what you're saying there, Holly, is you know, back up your, your defense, you know, just don't lose stuff. And, you know, you can accept a smaller gain maybe, but still come out ahead from someone who might have a great large increase, mm-hmm. you know, a great rate of return one year in the stock market, um, but only to lose it all next year. That's a more fragile system than someone who never loses anything. And maybe maybe they only grow one or two or 3% a year, but they've never lost ever. Uh, what you're saying, what he's saying in the book here is that that actually outperforms in the long run someone who's doing the wild swings and gyrations of the market. And uh, you're right. It's those big wealth shocks like um, the Journal of uh, Journal of the American Medical Association recently defined a biological disease called the wealth shock, where they actually said that they can count that your age will shorten, that your lifespan will be shorter if you experience some of these big drops in your wealth um, due to whatever, the market, job loss, whatever. And so, you know, I got to thinking it's sort of like if I was to take a handful of pebbles and just throw them at a window, they probably would just bounce off unharmed, right? But a large stone of equivalent weight is going to throw right through that window and shatter the glass. Uh, So it's that fragility of the impact of something big that happens, not so much the small things. Uh, so that you know leads me to the principle that fragility uh, and that the fragile systems are what's hurt more by extreme events than by maybe just a succession of small little down down market trends or whatever. So, all right. So we're looking at this idea of anti-fragility uh, and you know the problem of more loss than potential gain uh, as your intensity increases uh, with anti-fragility. Anti-fragility when your 
intensity increases up to a point you actually improve. So think of like, you know, weightlifting. Uh, when you lift a heavier weight, your body is actually being kind of torn down. I mean, it's a, it's a impact. It's a shock. You know, it's a rock against the window, so to speak, of your body. But up to a point, and he's very clear about this, up to a point, you can lift a heavier and heavier amount. I'm looking at you, Katrina. Yeah. How many, do you want to just announce how much you can lift right now on your leg press or you want to keep that a quiet? I don't think that's very modest. All right. Well, let's just say it's like three or four me, okay? <laughs> what <laughs> uh, do you, you can, mean? You can lift more than I can by a factor you of three You mean I four. can put Mark Willis on the leg press yeah. <laughs> times four? <laughs> yeah. It's actually true. Yeah. So, uh, you know, what you've done here is you've been increasing the, the shock to your system. You couldn't have done this day one, but you've been increasing that slowly, getting stronger and stronger under the pressure under the stress of your weights, which is anti-fragile. Well, yeah, with that, it's brief, it's intense, and it's intentional, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So it's regular, it's scheduled, but it's it's brief, and it's intense, and it's controlled. It's not like a wildfire. It's in a small little container, yeah. and there's a lot of time for recovery. And so there's, yeah, there's methods to keeping anti-fragility. You have to keep in the system. That's the the tenets of, uh, you know, it's brief, it's repetitive, it's increasing on an incremental scale. You know, uh, he uses the idea of uh, the ancient Greek god, uh, Hydra, you know, the snake with a bunch of heads on it. Every time you'd cut off a head, two more would grow. And that's another anti-fragile system. You know, a, a starfish, similarly, you can't, there's no head on a starfish. And if you cut off an arm of a starfish, you don't hurt it. You actually help it multiply. So it grows a second starfish uh, off that, you know, missing arm. As opposed to a spider. Yeah. If you cut mm-hmm. off a leg of a spider, you don't get another spider. So spi- spiders are fragile. Praise the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. So redundancy actually is what he talks about. He says nature loves redundancy. Uh, fragile systems don't. So with a starfish, you got five arms. That's redundancy. You cut off one arm. Who cares? We'll, we'll just grow another arm back. And by the way, that arm will grow into a new starfish. Uh, what investment advisor would advise you to keep a ton of money in cash? That seems like a bad idea. But redundancy or a bunch of money in cash is exactly what makes you anti-fragile. Uh, that redundancy, of course, is not going to be something he gets paid for. If all your money's in cash, he's not getting assets under management fees. Not he your wants, average financial podcast. Right. <laughs> He wants every last penny in a high-load mutual fund, right? He, and so the author also talks about how debt is the opposite of redundancy. Think about that. So we have this track record of engaging in debt, which is, you know, this opposite to redundancy, you know, $50,000 in extra cash in the bank or under the mattress or, for example, in a bank-on-yourself policy is a form of redundancy, getting ready for the unexpected, the shock that comes, not to just withstand it, but actually to profit from it. And we'll talk about how you can do that here in just a minute. But debt, of course, is the opposite. You're extra fragile when you have debt. So I'd love to talk a bit about something he talks about in the book called the barbell strategy. And uh, Holly, give us sort of an idea there on uh, what is the barbell strategy and sort of what, what kind of attitude we need to take with our investing. So the barbell strategy is kind of this dual attitude where you're going to be playing it safe in some areas, um, but then also taking on a lot of small risk in others. So kind of think of it, again, as a barbell. So on one end of the barbell, you kind of have a you cluster there, right? And so that's you taking on or maybe keeping um, that part safe. Okay, so you got a cluster on this end that everything is safe, everything's protected. Then you kind of have this straight barbell leading all the way to the other end where you don't have a whole lot going on in the middle. And then you have this 
cluster again at the other end of the spectrum that is maybe high risk. And so you would have kind of just these two extremes that you are kind of concentrated in versus just a generic kind of medium mm-hmm. or moderate risk um, tolerance for, with the whole thing. So rather than everything sitting in the middle, your diversification is more having those two extremes in place and, and really not bothering with the middle at all. Mm, yeah, right. And, and when you think about the word diversification, what's it, what's it mean? Like, why do we diversify? What's the purpose? And we've talked about how it's essentially insurance. You know, diversification is insurance against basically a non-belief that anything is going to go up or go down. We don't really have full faith that Apple is going to go up or Microsoft is going to go up. So we have to hedge our bets with insurance, hoping that if one of them tanks, that something else will still be up. And, and so the problem there is, well, you don't really have a lot of growth uh, when you diversify. And we've seen that with the Dalbar report, you know, saying, hey, diversified investors over 30 years has a 3.66% mutual fund, mostly equities return, which is, mm-hmm. you know, kind of proof of that concept. Who, who really can, you know, feel good about spending 30 years on the roller coaster to get a nice, fat, juicy 3.66%, mm-hmm. okay? So, you know, anti-fragility is this combination um, of aggressiveness on one side and paranoia on the other side. <laughs> so, you know, the idea is protect yourself from extreme harm you know, have plenty of cash or cash equivalents, maybe in bank on yourself policies, for example, and then throw a little bit of that money that you can afford to lose over into your positive black swans, you know, throw a little bit of uh, money into this wild, crazy startup, or, you know, a piece of, uh, you know, land that might eventually be turned into a shopping mall, or, you know, any number of other, you know, uh, wild and crazy speculative instruments, even your own business. If you own a business, that's a part of the speculative part of your portfolio because, you know, we all know that most businesses don't make it. That would be a speculative investment. So having a big pile of collateral cash on the sidelines ready to deploy for emergencies, and in this case we're talking about opportunities, helps you take, you know, some ground when volatility hits. This is much like the financial triangle that we talk about with the base being that safe liquid cash. And then at the top, you have this risky investment. Although mm-hmm. with the triangle, it's implied that you diversify, quote unquote, those risking things at mm-hmm. a smaller amount than the barbell would yeah. represent. I mean, the barbell, it feels like a 50-50. No, it's a 90%. He, he recommends throw like 90% of your money into cash equivalents. Oh, like, 90%. Mm-hmm, and then 10% over into the high, high extreme stuff. So it's very similar mm-hmm. to that yeah. financial triangle. And mm-hmm. you can find that the details of that on some earlier episodes, I believe, mm-hmm. episode... Yeah three, four, five. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't want to actually use his barbell for working out because yeah. it's going to be way, way off. Yeah, well, Injuries. Well, you'll end up with one arm way stronger than the other. Yeah. And you can check out, uh, yeah, you can check out the uh, episode four for our financial triangle conversation. Okay. And I think Katrina could probably handle that awesome off, offloaded barbell. No, thank just you. She's, she's superhuman. I'm anti-fragile. I choose yeah. not to inflict that upon well, myself. You know, when you think about some of the major sharks on Shark Tank, they're doing that, right? They've got big pile. How do they throw a million dollars at a startup that walks in there and two minutes later, they're giving them an offer for 500 grand or a million bucks? It's liquidity. They've got liquidity. They've got big piles of stock stockpile redundancy in cash that, you know, Mark Cuban's very famous for this. He keeps most of his assets in cash. And then he allows that allows him to move quickly when he sees a big opportunity in front of him there. Mm-hmm. And so that is the barbell strategy. But another concept that is talked about in uh, this book is this idea of 
touristification. <laughs> what? <laughs> Which I don't believe is a real word. No, most of these words aren't. <laughs> but, uh, you know, used, used for purposes of this book. And so what is he talking about when he talks about touristification, which is quite a mouthful. Um, and so really he describes it as this aspect of our modern life now where we treat humans almost kind of as, as washing machines, um, that we kind of expect them to have these simplified mechanical responses. Um, and then also kind of a you know, detailed user's manual as well. So it's the systematic removal of uncertainty and randomness from things that we try to do um, in an order to be able to make um, things more comfortable, convenient, and efficient. So we're mm. trying to make things, you know, highly predictable in all their smallest details. So um, an example of this is, is kind of the, the soccer mom, right? So she attempts to remove all randomness and uncertainty from her kids' lives to protect them, right? So it's mm -hmm. seen as, as a good, good thing. thing. You yeah. know, she's she's trying to help her kids out. However, maybe in doing that and, you know, trying to give them all the comfort and convenience of, you know, <laughs> motherhood, um, she's actually prevented them from kind of a or sorry, from a developing the ability uh, to bounce back and adapt to future difficulties. So maybe in kind of, you know, coddling them a little bit too much, then when they're faced with, um, you know, some sort of difficulty that might come up, she can't protect them from, you know, what are they supposed to do? Sure. What, okay. Where does that leave them? So the rational person really is someone who unlike a tourist, makes a decision at every step to revise his schedule so he can adjust things based on new information. So we're mm -hmm. not really just, you know, describing a random walk uh, through Rome here or, you know, throwing thoughtfulness to the wind. This is about planning ahead, um, but then taking on new information on the ground as you're going and making rational decisions based on what you learn, you know, rather than just rigidly sticking to your schedule without any flexibility. So when I've got a, you know, week-long vacation in Europe, you're saying maybe have a few ideas of what I'd like to do, but don't stick to it so rigidly that I miss out on an opportunity to spend an evening with uh, an Italian family or something if that mm -hmm. opportunity shows up. Yeah, cool. if it comes up, if it got, yep. comes up, being willing to pivot and adjust. So, you know, really, if you think about another example, you know, the strength of, you know, the computer entrepreneur, Steve Jobs, was precisely um, in this idea of distrusting market research and focus groups, um, you know, which were based on just asking people what they want, you know, give the people yeah. what they want. Um, but actually his idea was that he was going to follow kind of his own imagination. And his whole kind of thing was that he didn't think people knew what they wanted. Um, and so he would say, you know, that people don't know what they want until you provide them with it. Um, and so this is kind of shows the ability to switch from a course of action is an option to change. You know, and, and there's so many concepts in this. And so, you know, we'll just leave some of this for you to pick up the book on your own here. But one of the things that caught me was an obsession with the new and discounting of the old. Um, when, in, when in actuality, it's the old that's probably more robust and as time goes on is more likely to survive than all the new stuff that's come out recently, you know. So which is more likely to survive? Holly, you know, if, you know, if we're picking between, let's say, the iPhone or the chair. Yeah, well, the chairs lasted a lot longer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I would expect that, you know, the basic function of a chair will outlast the iPhone. Isn't that crazy? Sure. Yeah. And so for the perishable, you know, every additional day in its life translates into a shorter additional life expectancy. 
For the non-perishable, every additional day may imply actually a longer life expectancy. So the longer technology lives, the longer it can be expected to live. So printed books will outlast the Kindle. Um, when you know picking literature, when picking out you know what you're going to read, follow the follow kind of this idea that you know books that have been around for ten years will probably be around for ten more. Books that have been around for two millennia should be around for quite a bit of time and so, so forth. You know, so you. So Wall Street, for example, has not been around as long as whole life insurance or real estate That's or true. businesses. That's so, true. <laughs> or an annuities. I recently saw an annuity in a uh, museum in uh, here in Chicago. It was 2,400 years old. I mean, that kind of thing is anti-fragile. If it can survive, um, the idea there is if there was something wrong with insurance as a way to save cash, they'd have figured it out by now is basically the idea there. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, with ETFs or Bitcoin or, you know, crypto, you know, every every day that it lasts makes it more likely that it's going to fail this young in its lifetime. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, you know, we're looking at not just uh, quick fixes. We're not just looking at, you know, um, quick recipes for success. We're really trying to find out what is the truth behind the financial instruments that where, where we're keeping our cash. And, you know, I'd say that the greatest and the most robust contribution to knowledge uh, consists in removing what we think is wrong. In other words, taking out what's wrong and focusing on that rather than just listening to what's what everyone tells you is right. Figure out what's wrong with everything and then figure out, you know, based on a sub- idea of subtraction rather than addition, you'll be less likely to jump in with the most hot commodity or the best hot pick stock or the best new crypto. Figure out what's wrong with them and that's a better way of determining the, the right outcome or the right path to take. Uh, so if true wealth consists of, you know, uh, something more than just numbers, more than just a net worth sheet. If it consists, if if our definition of wealth, for example, isn't additional money in the bank, but you know maybe wealth is worryless sleeping, a clear conscience, reciprocal gratitude, absence of envy, maybe a good appetite, right? Muscle strength, physical energy, laughing a lot, uh, not eating alone, no gym classes, uh, some sort of hobby, periodic surprises. Then that's largely a subtractive form of wealth. You know, I'm avoiding the terrorist night sleeps of not knowing what my net worth is going to be when I wake up tomorrow morning. And so uh, I'm sure you, our dear listeners who have stuck with us through this episode, are probably wondering, okay, you know, what does any of this have to do with money and finance, though? You know, how, what is, what's kind of the application here? And so, I mean, really, you know, these, con- these are all concepts that you can keep in mind and think about when you're making financial decisions. And, um, you know, the book, if you are intrigued by this topic, pick that up and read it. And it's, it's about this idea of trying to make your financial system uh more anti-fragile or making it anti-fragile in general um, so that you gain, not lose when these extremes happen. And so, Mark, I know you had a couple applications um, that you thought, you know, paralleled well. Um, And so one of them you called, you know, just kind of skin in the game. And so what did you see there for what people could be looking for in their own financial life? Just simply ask your investment advisor or your stock picker, don't ask for their opinion on what you should buy or what the forecast of your mutual fund is going to be or what they'd recommend. Just ask them, hey, what do you have in your portfolio? May I see your portfolio? And that'll be a better pick for you. Or do they even have any money in the stock market? That's a, actually, there's some interesting statistics on that. Mm-hmm. But as, just asking them for their skin in the game will help you tremendously in knowing what's, what's real, right? Mm-hmm. And then maybe what can people do differently to be more anti-fragile? 
Yeah, those ideas, implications are huge uh, for your financial life. If everything we've been conditioned to believe uh, about our finances is take more risk or just hide it, hide it, hide it, that's, that's being fragile or being just simply you know, robust. But the idea of being um, you know, anti-fragile is learning to take large amounts of cash into bank on yourself policies, for example, and it gives you that optionality to take chances when, uh, when, it's, op- when it's available to you. So that's the, the optionality that anti-fragility requires. Uh, if you keep all that money in a space where you are limiting your downside because the policy grows, all right, guaranteed, on a guaranteed basis every year, and even when you access the money, it's still growing, you know, you've just expanded your upside without exposing yourself to a downside risk. That's an anti-fragile financial instrument if I've ever seen one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so guys, I'd love for you to reach out to us and talk to us about this. Figure out how this works. How do you build the barbell strategy into your portfolio? How do you lift as much as Katrina Willis can? <laughs> so thank Lots you. Lots repetition and practice. Right, you bet. <laughs> So thank you all for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.